Today on Blue 58, the Packers' defense hasn't been great this year, but there still could be some reason for hope next season and beyond. At least that's what we have to tell ourselves, because they're going to be stuck with a lot of these same players for quite a while. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We have a lot to get to today, so let's start getting to it. Some news to cover real quickly. Five points here. First, Right off the bat, Matt LaFleur says he is not firing Joe Barry in season. I know that may be disappointing to some people. Personally, I don't see the reason to stick with Joe Barry at this point unless you think you're going to get a better evaluation knowing exactly what guys are going to be supposed to be doing because they've been in the same scheme all year. By just retaining Barry throughout the end of the year just to get a look at some guys, that's the only reason I can come up with. There's no reason to keep playing out this charade. If Joe Barry is the defensive coordinator next season, if Joe Barry is the coordinator beyond the Tuesday after when the Packers season ends, we have to seriously question Matt LaFleur's judgment. And as we, I think, have covered at length here, there's pretty good reason to question Matt LaFleur's judgment in regards to Joe Barry, just in general. But at least as far as the end of his tenure in Green Bay goes, it's not going to be in season right now. Second note, Aaron Rodgers says he is going to play this weekend, so i got to take the L on that one. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not going on injured reserve anytime soon, perhaps after this game, but he wants to play until the Packers are mathematically eliminated. I don't get it. I, I understand, I guess, the pride aspect of it, but he's real hurt. He's got a broken thumb. I mean, a, a specific kind of broken thumb at, at the very least. He's got injured ribs. He's hurt. The Packers aren't making the playoffs. It's okay to admit that. I respect the pride. There's no reason to put your body on the line anymore. It's done. It's over. The Packers have released safety Jonathan Abram. They claimed him on waivers after he was released by the Raiders earlier this season. He played in two games, ended up playing one snap on defense, 28 snaps on special teams, finished his Packers tenure with one tackle and three penalties. No reason to shed a whole lot of tears over this one. In his place, the Packers have promoted safety Innes Gaines, who's kind of been toying around with making the active roster here for some time. Now he's here. Packers have signed in his place uh, Nick Gugamos, a tight end to the practice squad, rounding out our little news portion here. Interesting prospect, Gugamos. He appeared at the University of Minnesota's Pro Day way back in 20, uh, well, at least 2018. It's been a while uh, that he's been out of college. But he posted some pretty ridiculous numbers uh, back at that pro day. Then, uh, at six foot four, two hundred forty-eight pounds, he ran a four-four-nine forty-yard dash, had a short shuttle of four point one two seconds, three cone of six nine three, good broad jump, good vertical, twenty-five bench reps. Pretty good athlete. Hasn't played a whole lot of football, and it's interesting that they took him ahead of a couple of the other guys that they worked uh, worked out this week. Among them, Austin Allen, who was pretty productive. Uh, for Nebraska, and is also a pretty big athletic tight end. So Packers making an acquisition there. Uh, Want more tight end prospects? And I guess, as I've pointed out a couple times recently, this is about the time that they they made a move and and brought in Robert Tunyon back in 2017. These late-season acquisitions can matter. I'm not saying Gugamos is going to be that kind of guy, but 
you never know with stuff like this that happens late in the season. We've got a few good listener questions that I want to take on before we dive into a look ahead of the Packers' defense. First question comes from Jim in lacrosse. Jim's asked a couple good questions recently, and I think this one is especially good for a reason that I'll point out here in a second. Jim writes, I want to know that this was a snapshot of what Jordan Love can do, but it seemed like he was different than what we've seen in the past. Is that my hope, or was there something there? Also, with Jim Leonard not getting the Wisconsin job, does this put him back in the mix to coach our defense? Good question, and we've got to praise Jim for something that he does really well. Basically, he asks, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing, or am I just hoping that there's something there? That is a great way to approach thinking about football and learning about football because there's things that you you want to believe and things that are actually happening and trying to find out the difference between those two things can often be tricky. So Jim asks something really well here. Is what Jordan Love did on Sunday actually good or am I just hoping it's good? Let's take the second question first though. Is Jim Leonard in the mix for the the Packers job should they have an opening at defensive coordinator and we hope they will? I don't know but I would like to think so. He was Matt LaFleur's first choice for the job back in 2021, or back in 2020, when uh, they hired, after the 2020 season, there we go, when they hired Joe Barry. Um, He turned down the job. Uh, The thinking apparently was that he was going to be the guy in Wisconsin, and he did end up being the guy in Wisconsin on an interim basis for like a little over a month. So now he's a coaching free agent again because Wisconsin has gone in a different direction. So everybody's speculating, well, is Jim Leonard a candidate again? And you would like to think so. A couple big questions, though. First, does he even want the job? Presumably, he wants to be a head coach somewhere. That seems to have been the thinking for why he stayed at Wisconsin, thinking he would be a head coach at some point. And if that is still the case... Is being the Packers defensive coordinator something that's going to help him get closer to that goal? If the answer is yes, okay. If the answer is yes, or even if it's not, you have to wonder if he's going to stick around. How long would he stay in Green Bay? Does he just want to be a defensive coordinator? If so, for how long? Because the Packers are going to have a a little retooling to do here over the next couple of years. There's some serious cap issues coming down the pipe. Does he stick around beyond that? Or if somebody comes calling, say, after the 2023 season, are the Packers searching for another defensive coordinator heading into 2024? Where is he at with those things? If you get satisfactory answers to both those questions, I can't see a reason why Jim Leonard wouldn't be at the top of your list. If you thought he was good enough back then... I don't think there's anything really that should have changed between then and now. The tape eaters that I trust out there seem to think that he is among the best defensive minds in college football. Uh, On top of that, he is one of the true innovators at the college level. Shoot, sounds good to me. Give him a shot. At least try somebody who's close to the, the bleeding edge in football strategy innovation as opposed to a guy who has just kind of made a career out of being friends with everybody. So a good question there from Jim. On Jordan Love, though, I do happen to think that Sunday night was for real. But real can mean a lot of things. A lot of quarterbacks can look pretty good for a short amount of time. And we won't know the answer to whether or not it was a flash-in-the-pan thing for Love or something more substantial for a while. So let's talk about what we do know. If you look at his performance from Sunday night, I think he was doing things that either can't be faked or aren't really fluky. Three things that I think that we saw that aren't just a a flash in the pan sort of thing. First, anticipation throws. 
understanding where guys are going to be relative to the defense at particular times and hitting them with the ball at the appropriate time. For instance, the throw to Aaron Jones on the sideline. He knew where Aaron Jones was going to be. He knew what he had to do to get the ball to him at that point, and he let it rip and had the arm strength to get it there. Jones drops the ball. That's not Love's fault. He got the ball there on time with accuracy in a place where Jones could catch it. Jones just dropped it because sometimes that happens. But it was a good play by Love. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, and he it showed a really good understanding of the defense that Philadelphia was running at the time. Arm strength. We've heard for years now about his arm talent. I don't think you saw anything Sunday night that showed that he doesn't still have, at least on individual throws, maybe not over the course of a whole game or a season, but on certain individual throws, he's got a pretty snappy arm. The ball came out with some zip. I think his long release is always going to be a little little bit of an issue. His throwing motion could be a problem, but nobody's a perfect prospect. Sometimes you just have to deal with stuff like that. You're not going to make his arm shorter at this point in his life, so that's just something you have to live with. He's got plenty of arm, though. That's the point, and you, you can't fake that. Finally, execution. Are you or are you not on top of things? And this is something that is kind of um, talent agnostic. It doesn't matter how talented you are, the skills that you, you are. If you can execute, you can execute. Some guys can, sometimes can't. Some guys can't. Some guys do, maybe I should put it that way, and some guys don't. And Love was on top of things. An example of that, the, the touchdown pass to Christian Watson. Now, Watson's doing most of the work on that play, but look what Jordan Love did. Executes a play-action fake, gets his feet set, ball comes out fast. Boom, boom, boom. That is, it was textbook. And that's the sort of thing that you don't do if you're not on top of the playbook, if you're not on top of your responsibility for a given place. And if you can sort through the the double negatives in that sentence, I think you get to what I'm meaning there. Jordan Love was exactly where he was supposed to be doing exactly what he was supposed to do. That's encouraging. Now, as we said in the in the postgame podcast, there are some caveats here. The Eagles defense wasn't doing very much at that point. Jordan Love was very much in a just go out there and play, sling it, see what happens sort of situation. I don't know how great that is for an overall evaluation because I think we'll learn more about what he is as a player when he see when we see him in a tight game. Last year in some tight game situations against the Chiefs and even the Lions, things didn't go particularly well. How does he look a year later? And those weren't perfect situations either. But how does he look in those situations now that he's had more time to prepare, a little bit more seasoning? On top of all that, we shouldn't let the fact that this wasn't a perfect situation or you know, the Eagles weren't necessarily giving us perfect looks or whatever detract from what he did do well. I love the saying that perfect is the enemy of good. And Jordan Love, if nothing else, was very good on Sunday night. Not perfect, sure. Not, not a perfect situation to get a look at him. Uh, granted. But for what it was, for the situation he was in, I think he did a lot of really promising things, and I think that he the things that he did were real. Stripped down offense? Maybe. Tough situation? Maybe. You can only grade him by what's in front of him, and he did well in that situation, I think. Alex in Alexandria offers us uh, another, well, not another from Alex, but uh, another in our string of voice questions. So I'll let Alex, take it. Just step aside here and let him do some talking. Good morning, John. This is Alex in Alexandria, Virginia. 
longtime listener, first time speak piper. I had a question about Adrian Amos. He took what appeared to be several bad lines last night that led to badly missed tackles. As a player who has done so much over his career by being in the right place at the right time, do you have any theories on what may be wrong? Is this simply a case of Amos trying to cover other players' responsibilities with Savage out of the lineup and newer players like Ford finding their way or some other problem? I'll hang up and listen for your answer. Appreciate the question, Alex, and I appreciate you hanging up there and taking the taking the answer off the air. That's really the only way we can do things here on a podcast, so I really appreciate the consideration there. So Alex raises something important here, and it's it's kind of symptomatic of the 2022 season. There are so many bad things going on that sometimes we don't get a chance to address them all. We went a long time without really talking about how disappointing of a season that Darnell Savage was having. We, when we finally got to it, it was only because he was losing playing time to Rudy Ford or moving into a different position because of issues elsewhere. Adrian Amos has kind of been flying under the radar a little bit, and he's been having a pretty bad season. A couple numbers throwing him at you. Uh, he's giving up the the worst completion percentage since his rookie season. He's having his worst graded season of his career in every category except pass rush, according to Pro Football Focus. Also, according to Pro Football Focus, he is missing tackles at the highest rate of his time in Green Bay. He has never really been a lights-out tackler. He was just way better than Darnell Savage. But even by his standards, he's missing 9.7% of his tackle attempts this year, tying 2020 as the worst season he's had in Green Bay. Slice it any way you like, it's been bad. As Alex points out, he's taken bad angles at times this year. It, it just hasn't been good for Adrian. And it's weird to see because he's normally been so rock steady over his time in Green Bay. So why is it happening? First, to Alex's point, there is some concern about age-related decline. He is 29 years old, and he is turning 30 in April. Now, that's not ancient, but consider the circumstances here. He's played 121 games in his NFL career. He's played more than 1,000 snaps in four straight seasons. If he is declining for age-related reasons totally understandable. He's been on the football field a lot, and that takes a toll eventually. Second, I think there's an issue with the talent surrounding him, and Alex gets to this a little bit here as well. He probably does have to take more responsibility this year than before, given how bad Darnell Savage has been. The Packers are probably turning to him a little bit more and leaning on him a little bit more heavily, given the rest of their safety situation. But finally, It's worth pointing out that Adrian Amos has been used a little bit differently this year than in the past. He's actually playing less free safety this season and more in the box than he ever has in his Packers tenure. And I don't really know why that is. It doesn't really overlap all that much with Darnell Savage, whose usage has changed dramatically, but he he is lining up in different spots. I also can't pretend that I understand exactly what Joe Barry is up to with the defense. He is not the first player whose performance has significantly declined since Barry came to down. Now, Amos was still good last year, but taking a step back this year, I think there's more to it than just age-related decline. Darnell Savage has taken big steps backward under Joe Barry, too. He was much better in Petten's system than he has been in Barry's. Dean Lowry has taken some steps backward, though there are some aspects of his game that are still still fairly good. There are other people it, who have seen inconsistent 
deployment and usage uh, under Barry. Jair Alexander, throw another one at you. Um, it seems to be a, a weekly struggle as to exactly what he is going to be doing and justifying what he's up to. So overall, for Amos, yeah, it, it has been a bad year. And it seems like it's just a little bit of everything. Now, the decline does seem unusually precipitous. There hasn't really been symptoms of decline prior to this, at least nothing that I've seen. Maybe there's reason for hope that he could either turn it around yet this year or in the future. The problem is I don't think it's going to be in Green Bay next year. His contract hits the void year stage after this season. And I think the Packers, just given the rest of their cap situation, are probably just going to be looking to move on. He'll probably get a a pretty generous free agent deal somewhere to be a steadying influence in somebody's secondary and more power to him. Get that money while you can, and he may not play out that entire contract, but I hope he gets as much money as he possibly can because I still think there there is good football ahead of Adrian Amos. just hasn't been there for the Packers this year. Old Packers fan writes, how many current Packers defensive starters are on the 2023 Packers starting defense? I looked at this today. More than I thought. And that's kind of the reason for the, the phrase that I used in the intro here. You've, you've got some, some stuff going on here with this, this defense this year. And unfortunately, a lot of them are going to be around for next year. You don't have a lot of opportunity to turn over this roster. Guys that I think are for sure going to be among the 2023 Packers starting defense include this list. Kenny Clark, Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Rashawn Gary when he's heavy, healthy, excuse me. Uh, Jair Alexander, and Devontae Wyatt. I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room there. Devondre Campbell's contract doesn't really get movable for a couple years. Kenny Clark, same deal. Quay Walker, of course, is going to be around. Gary, of course, is going to be around. Alexander is going to be around. And Wyatt is just going to be a second-year first-round pick. They're going to want him on the field. Then you've got guys that are going to be on the field unless they get released for cap reasons. Rasul Douglas, releasing him would save about $3 million. I think he's probably back. Preston Smith, kind of same boat, releasing him, saves about $4 million. I think he's going to be back too. And finally, I'm not sure if he'll be a starter, quote unquote, but he's going to play a lot, throw Eric Stokes out there too. So that gives us a list of six guys that are for sure going to be on the roster. One quasi-starter in Eric Stokes, plus two guys that are probably going to be around barring unusual cap situations. That's a total of nine guys. Plus, Say you decide you don't want to try to move on from Darnell Savage. I mean, he's got a guaranteed contract for next year. You could have some cap savings by moving on from him. But if you decide you can't, or if you can't find a trading partner, well, then that's 10 guys back. And in that situation, you're really only moving on from Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed. 2023 Packers, on defense at least, might look a lot like the 2022 Packers. But let's look at that defensive group real quick here. We used three levels of players to talk about the Packers offense in our our last podcast last week. We talked about guys that are building block players, short-term players, and guys that are probably done after this year. The building block players are guys that are going to be around either beyond their current contract or just long enough that it, it doesn't really matter. Short-term players are guys that are probably around for this year and maybe next year, and then guys that are done after this year. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Starting with the defensive line, I think Kenny Clark is still a building block player. His contract makes him basically unmovable. He hasn't been great this year. 
he's really kind of declined as the season has gone on to the point that you wonder if there's some sort of injury situation that we just don't know about. But I think you bet on him returning to form, perhaps under a new defensive coordinator, because he still has shown at times this year that he can still be an elite level talent. Going in alphabetical order by last name here, Jonathan Ford is next up. I think you consider him a short-term player until proven otherwise. Would love to see him sometime. They've kept him around all year. Would love to see why and if he can do anything at all. But I think you have to be fairly realistic, too, and say you can probably find another seventh-round defensive lineman to make inactive every week, too. So there's really no reason to hope for big stuff for Ford long-term. As soon as you find somebody better, you're probably looking to to replace him. I think Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed are done after this year. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time on them, but they're both liabilities in the run game and don't do enough in the passing game to justify keeping them around. TJ Slayton, I think he might be a building block sort of player. I've really been impressed with what he's done the last couple of weeks. And if you look at his overall grading, his other productivity measures, he's trending upward. And he plays a position, a true nose tackle sort of player that the Packers really don't have any other guys they feel comfortable playing. I think there's a good chance that the third-year leap from T.J. Slayton is going to be something to behold because he still has great physical tools. For his size, he moves really well. Third-year might be something interesting from T.J. Slayton. And finally, rounding out the defensive line, I think Devontae Wyatt is a building block for contract reasons alone. You'd love to see him more. You'd love to see if he can harness some of those physical gifts. He's has got he's got a hellacious spin move. He used it a couple times against the Eagles to to pretty great effect, and then got blown up in the run game a couple times. That'll happen to you as a rookie. I don't know if he gets a second contract given the age he was when they drafted him, but he's going to be here for three more years for sure. So he's going to be a fixture on the defensive line. Off ball linebackers, inside linebacker types. Chris Barnes, short term player, I think for the Packers. Nice guy. Nice player, but I think fairly limited too. I think you can find another guy that can replicate what Chris Barnes does. Devondre Campbell too, I think is a short-term player. They'll probably be looking to get out of that contract before it's done just for age reasons alone. It's tough, but that's how football works. Quay Walker, building block, significant piece for the Packers defense. Inside linebacker is a non-premium position, but he's an elite athlete And I think he has improved this year. There are still some warts to his game. That happens. John Wooden is said to have once said that the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. Well, the best thing about rookies is they become whatever not rookies are, second-year players. And I think that's kind of the stage we are for Quay Walker right now. He's in heading into the, what, fifth month now, if you count training camp, of his rookie season. It's probably getting to be overwhelming at this point. He might be hitting the rookie wall. He might be at the point where there's not much improving he can do yet this season just because there's been so much going on week after week after week. You'd be forgiven if he's wearing down a little bit at this point. He probably just needs an offseason to, to rest a little bit, to let his brain quiet down a little bit, and then you come out and you play even faster and stronger next year. I'm pretty optimistic about Quay Walker. I think you see some good stuff from him almost every week. Yeah, there's some bad stuff too, but the lump of clay that he is from an athletic perspective is pretty promising. Isaiah McDuffie, short-term player. I think you could find another 
another Isaiah McDuffie, sort of like with Chris Barnes. Same thing for Eric Wilson. Done after this year, you can find another special teams guy. At the edge, J.J. Nigbari. three weeks ago I would have said short-term guy. I think he is getting better and better. And I think he's the sort of player who could be like a low-level building block for your defense, a foundational player. Say he peaks at being slightly better than he is right now. I think that still is a guy worth re-signing. His pressure numbers have improved every week. He's been reliable setting the edge. He has good physical tools, even if he isn't an overwhelming athlete. There's a lot to like there. Even if he only ever is like a, a third edge, having a reliable third edge is a good thing to have. And if he can be strong and reliable... Shoot, I think that's a great thing for the Packers. Jonathan Garvin, short-term guy. I don't get the appeal here. I think you try to replace him as soon as you can. Maybe that replacement is Justin Hollins for right now. I would say as of today, he's a short-term sort of guy. But he's at least interesting. He's got great physical traits and they need some edge depth. If they bring him back for next year, I wouldn't be surprised. Preston Smith, similar to Devondre Campbell, is kind of going to be that short-term sort of guy. He's going to be great and great to have around while he's in Green Bay. I don't think he plays out the entire contract here. He's going to be a nice guy to have on the field next to Rashawn Gary for as long as he's in Green Bay, but there's just going to come a point where the numbers just say cut this guy and they will and they'll they'll try to replace him. Not complicated here, but Rashawn Gary foundational piece for the Packers defense. Injuries aside, he is probably the best player on the entire roster right now. It's either him or Aaron Jones, and he is still not even 25. It's going to be his birthday on Friday, by the way, so wish him a happy birthday uh, if you happen to run into Rashawn Gary. Um, Say best of luck on the knee stuff. Heading to the defensive backfield, Jair Alexander, a building block sort of player. Obviously, he hasn't played up to his contract this year. Still worth keeping around. I don't know if it's entirely his fault either, just given what's going on with the rest of the defense. I would understand, if not approve, of him being a little bit checked out at this point in the season. Corey Ballantyne, done after this year. We don't have to spend time talking about him. Rasul Douglas, for contract reasons and age reasons, I think he is a short-term player for the Packers. He'll be 29 at the start of next season. The decline is going to come for him at some point. I'm glad he he was able to cash in on on a great season while he could. I don't think he plays out the entire contract. Short, uh, short-term short player Shamar John Charles, I mean, who cares? Uh, it, it's it been, I can see why the Packers took him. Seems like a nice enough fella, but I, I don't see the long-term path to playing time for him unless he takes a significant step forward next year in training camp. Keyshawn Nixon, even if he resigns, I don't think he's a, a a super long-term piece for the Packers. The nice, sort of a nice player to have around, nice special teamer. But I think a lot like Rudy Ford, you will try to find another version of him if you can. Then Eric Stokes. He's a tricky one for me. If you ask me right now, I don't think you're looking at a second contract for him in Green Bay. If you ask me about the fifth-year option, I think I'm probably a no on that right now too. We need to see some significant strides from him in year three before we can think about him as being a long-term piece in the Packers' secondary. 
And we're kind of at risk right now of falling right back into where the Packers were from, shoot, I guess 2015 to 2019, where they had to keep dumping picks into the secondary because they kept missing on picks in the secondary. Stokes was in rough shape prior to the injury. And I wonder if that's just a lack of cohesion with this defensive unit, if it's just a a scheme that doesn't suit his skills. I don't know. But he took a big step backward from where he was in year one. At safety, I had Jonathan Abram on my list here. I was going to say he's done after this year. Didn't even make it to the end of this week. Honestly, I'd forgotten he existed. Adrian Amos, I'm sorry to say he's done after this year. Just the realities of the cap. Tariq Carpenter, I think a short-term sort of guy. Rudy Ford, honestly not sure. I would love to have him back. I don't think he's your long-term starter at safety, but he, he is a useful enough piece. Same sort of thing with Dallin Levitt, though even more special teams oriented. And then Darnell Savage is a short-term player, I think, at best. Overall, you've got seven guys that I would describe as building block pieces. Three of them on the defensive line. If Wyatt can turn into something, if Slayton can take a key step forward, that unit stands to be better already just by virtue of those guys improving than it was this year. And if they add another piece there, either in the draft or free agency next year, you could have something there. Again, Quay Walker, obviously, um, just by virtue of his contract, and then Jair Alexander and a, and a couple of others. I think you're looking at some pretty solid, a, a fairly solid core, even if that group didn't perform particularly well this year. Short-term guys, I have 15 of them, then five that are done after this year. Again, I'm not sure how that would compare to the league as a whole. I would say there's probably not a lot of teams that are set you know, with a big core of like eight to 10 foundational pieces on both sides of the ball. But it does seem like the Packers have some work to do. And even now, as they look ahead to 2023, figuring out if they some of those more bottom of the roster guys can be anything should be a part of the job. I want to see what Jonathan Ford can do. I want to see what Devontae Wyatt can do with, with more snaps. Shoot, I'd even like to see what a guy like Shamar John Charles can do. He's been injured for most of this year. If he ever gets healthy, give him some extended playing time. Just see what happens. I think the Packers and maybe NFL teams as a whole need to be more open to the quote-unquote just see what happens sort of situations. Got to try some stuff. You don't break out of the funk unless you take some bigger swings. If you just continue to try to be good enough or just get by, you're never going to get anywhere. And I would rather have the Packers take some big swings on some guys and try some stuff here while they have a chance to do so than just continue to to circle the drain until whenever Aaron Rodgers decides to retire or consents to a trade. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.